This is Shannon in Durham. Chip in Durham. And Erica in Edmonton. And you are listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 87, The Deconstruction of Falling Stars. Perfectly normal episode. Says you. Hello and welcome again to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, where we are going through the television series episode by episode, and we have made it to the end of season four. Holy crap. (laughs) So, yeah. We've been doing this for four years. Oh my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's all downhill from here. Um, (laughs) One more season, a few television movies, and... That's going to be pretty much it, we think, but we will see what happens as we go along. As we do typically when we get to the end of a season, we like to invite our wonderful, wonderful control group back. So we have again with us, Stephen Schapansky. Hi, Stephen. Hi there, everyone. Thanks for having me back. Uh, Always. It's a Stephen Uh, (laughs) check-in. With Stephen this time. (laughs) So, yes, added added and improved with the actual Stephen to check in with us. And I guess before we get into the uh, last episode of the season, Stephen, Eric has been, you know, filling everybody in here and there, episode by episode, on some of the things that you've seen. Uh, in your own words, what did you think about season four? Yeah, I had to, um, after we watched uh, this episode last night, I had to turn to Eric and, and you know, because I know it's going to be on this, and I had to talk about all of season four, and I had to, and I asked, did the bit with the, the Mad Emperor on um, Centauri, was that at the beginning of this season? And no. just, yep. And I was like, oh my God, that was, that seems like forever ago. So my my memory might not be up to thinking about all the stuff that happened uh in this season but i think parts of it were were good parts of it were dealt with far too quickly in my opinion like the mimbari civil war which seemed to happen over the course of 46 minutes but the the towards the end like the the last few episodes with the the sort of the earth civil war and everything those that might be my favorite stretch of babylon 5 thus far that whole story arc i think was really really satisfying um and and, and then this episode came along but we'll talk about that later yeah a lot happened in in season 4 there were there were many bits and pieces but i'm i'm happy to hear that there was a chunk of it that you really 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 liked Yep, it was, um, and 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 this for a season that only had like what two episodes directed by my, my by Mike Vehar, so that's uh, you know that's impressive in and of itself. <laughs> I think one of the things that Erica has said in your reactions to B five is that the series seems to be increasingly confident as things go on. You seem to have felt like uh, the it, it was just becoming more assured more more polished or whatever did that am i am i reading that correctly i think so uh in the way that it was telling its stories um although i thought there i mean you know it's i think this is the time where it's important to sort of know what's happening behind the scenes to fully understand what you're seeing on screen because as you've been saying they weren't sure that they were going to get a fifth season during the fourth season. So I think some of the stuff was being wrapped up a lot quicker than perhaps they wanted to do it. Um, Exactly. So so there's a slight lack of 
confidence there, but I felt like the Earth storyline, that feels like that was the one that was supposed to carry on through until the end of season four as as it played out. So there's a very there's a very bold confidence there, I think, that that's that's sort of happening. There's one other big difference between this season and the previous seasons, Stephen, and I was wondering if you noticed anything about it, is that for the first three seasons, uh, the um, CGI effects were done by foundation imaging. And the B5 people took it all in-house uh, with this season, with uh, Netter Digital, um, a company being run by the executive producer, the money guy, uh, Doug Netter. Um, did you notice anything there? Because I know that you are a directorial and sort of technical aficionado of uh, uh, genre TV. I did. I did. I mean, I thought that the special effects, the computer effects improved over the course of the first three seasons to begin with. But there were like, I don't remember the episode. I'm sure you probably can fill it in. But like there were, there's a huge space battle and it looked damn impressive. Um, and it's something that I don't think they would have ever dreamed of being able to do, even in like as, as late as the second season. Um, so yeah, I, th- I thought that actually that actually worked quite well. It was um, it, it's interesting to note the sort of not a, the the advancement of the storylines, but the advancement of computer technology in the visual effects. Because I think I've been watching um, Star Trek Enterprise. Um, don't at me. Uh, <laughs> over, just for fun, because I've never seen it before, and I thought, why not? Let's give it a shot. And I noticed that some of the computer effects there, and this is like early 2000s, look a little bit janky. And I'm thinking that this isn't that far removed from where Babylon 5 was about four or five years before that. One other thing that I think helped the situation, JMS wrote every single one of the 22 episodes here. So because it was just him, he was able to control and adjust and do his best to fit things in, anticipating that they might not get the last season. Yeah, I suppose I suppose he had to be more nimble sort of this yeah. season. The fact that he was writing it all made probably a bigger difference in the fact that things were sort of shifting and adjusted. Whereas mm-hmm. if he was having other writers try to get, you know, the Centauri plot and the like all of the different things that were happening, the Earth plot and all that uh, worked in, that could have been that could have been tricky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that kind of brings us to, you know, this episode, because it really Mm -hmm. is a special case. It's not just a oddball episode compared to the ones that have come before, but it was produced in a really weird way. Um, Yeah, exactly. Um, Once more for those in the back, as we've been saying, they did not know until like the last possible second that they were going to get a fifth season by moving from the independent PTEN network that was falling apart to TNT, which was just beginning to get really big and start producing its own material and so forth. And they chose to pick up the last season of Babylon 5. So all of a sudden, they filmed a series finale. And all of a sudden, they had another season. So they put this together and dropped it in and held back the actual season finale, which we will get to in a year and change from now. This was actually produced as the first episode of the production block for season five and turned around almost immediately and dropped into the primetime entertainment network package for the last episode. It must have been insane trying to get this done in time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I don't even want to imagine all the business stuff that was going around for 
this episode being produced as part of the block that would be providing 22 episodes of television to TNT, but this one was going to go back to the smoldering embers of the primetime <laughs> entertainment network. The business stuff that must have gone on must have been just insane. Yeah, and then to have that episode that was originally supposed to be at the end of season four swapped to TNT from the company that originally financed its production, like just the paperwork nightmare is, wow. Yeah, screw all this history of the Interstellar Alliance stuff. This is real drama right here, folks. This this is, and for <laughs> someone who's like staying well away from any possible hint of a spoiler... Uh, I am so looking forward to diving into the backstory of how Babylon 5 was created in once you're finished series five. And so I can actually do that without being feared of spoilers like this. This is the biggest thing. I want you to get this podcast done so I can dive into all the DVD (laughs) extras, essentially. We'll get there. Let's touch base real quick with uh, what you need to know if you are, for whatever reason, dropping in on us the very first time. Captain John Sheridan and Mimbari Ambassador Delenn met on the space station Babylon 5 when he was assigned to run it. They got to know one another, ended a couple of interstellar wars, set up an alliance of alien races in the hopes of preventing more wars, oh, and they got married. In this episode, we get brief looks into the future after the Earth uprising against Clark through someone downloading historical records. A few weeks after the Civil War is ended, the pundits are sharply divided on whether this new interstellar alliance will work. A hundred years later, academics are trying to pull apart the narrative, cynically insisting that Sheridan was not the hero that people believe, and a very old Delenn shows up to tell them off. Five hundred years later, history is repeating itself as a totalitarian and isolationist regime is using hollow technology to rewrite history and make Sheridan and the B-5 crew look bad. But the dangers of playing with artificial intelligence show up, and the hollow version of Garibaldi arranges for the opposition to learn of the plan and make a first strike. A thousand years in the future, we see the long-lingering after-effects of a war that drove the planet back into the Dark Ages, with the rangers offering careful helping hands. And finally, one million years into the future, we see who has been downloading the records. A human who can also take a non-corporeal form, hops into a Vorlon-like encounter suit, and takes off for New Earth just before the sun goes nova. And that is the deconstruction of falling stars. We've got a double meaning for the title this time around, because we've got the literal sun deconstructing itself as they move away. And then, of course, this entire episode is about pulling apart stories, legends, histories as they grow. Yeah. At the time this aired, I was uh, working my sort of first real job after grad school and in a small nonprofit, and the uh, secretary there was a Babylon 5 uh, watcher and she thought that this was the series finale she didn't keep up with tnt she didn't realize that there was a fifth season she, she was just sort of walking around uh <laughs> so I, that was a really weird way to end the series wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah good thing they weren't i think it almost does work as a coda to the series i think you actually could have possibly stopped the series with this episode right there and felt reasonably satisfied that you got a complete story. I do too, because the previous episode was, I mean, that felt like a finale. I know Stephen had had said that 
um, that it just that felt like a finale and like what the heck is going to come next. Uh, and this sort of felt like the, you know, in, in movies, quite often they did this in movies in the 70s where like at the end of the movie before the credits, you get like the black screen where it has text on it saying and, you know, and Joe Schmo went off to become a doctor in his father's practice. And, you know, Jill went off to become a movie star and like all of that stuff. I felt like this sort of served that purpose for me a little bit like the except on a grand galactic level um, or at least solar system level where you sort of see the far out after effects of all of the stuff that we have we have witnessed and sort of the the echoes throughout the future of all of these things that our beloved characters have done so I I mean if I'm glad there was a fifth season but if there hadn't have been I would have been happy with this um, as as a finale, I think you're right that it works that way. However, I will admit that it took me several viewings of this episode to actually understand what it was doing because I really didn't get it the first time. Yeah, well, I think um, part of it is that, you know, JMS suddenly having to produce an extra episode. Um, uh, he, he lined up his soapboxes and then proceeded to step on each one and <laughs> announce a few things. Um, in my opinion, because we've got the the first act looking at um, media punditry and genuinely how useless it can be, because you've got these three people who know know nothing specific about the situation. Their only experience is they were all on Earth or Mars watching from the sidelines. And then, hey, guess what? They get to talk about this um, and offer their opinions um, as if they are really in the know. And of course, nothing gets resolved because they all have different viewpoints and there's no time on these shows to let anybody actually lay out uh, long arguments because, hey, commercials. Um, and then the second act, you've got Academia. And it's been a long time since I've seen this episode. Um, and this time I was just sort of like head in my hands of, yes, my God, we do this. We, we do this. People pull apart narratives to shreds and then pull the shreds apart to threads. And then they start unraveling the threads. It's like trying to, I'm not sure that they're discovering anything new. They're just looking to, again, to have something to say. Um, and then in the third act, uh, we revisit Orwell uh, with uh, the government wow. control of uh, the media, of the narrative, with um, the scientists trying to uh, show pretty much the direct opposite of what our characters are really like uh, in order to sway the opinion of the masses. And then in the fourth act, JMS revisits what he has talked about here and there before when science and religion meet what happens. So um, he, he had the opportunity and I think he, he took it. Are these mm -hmm. soap boxes or straw men? Because, I, I felt like I, I felt like he had the he, he had stuff that he just sort of wanted to get off his chest as a, sort of a motivation for doing the story um, before he could go on with the with the mm -hmm. the meat that is to come in season five. Um, but so to me that says soapbox. You only have you only have a certain amount of time for e in each act. Mm -hmm. um, so you get the evil evil Orwell dude. You get the holier than thou academics uh you get the really really dated i mean it was i think it was even dated when they did this but the the dated you know james carville type um mm -hmm. um 
his idea of the future of journalism really doesn't age well. Uh, it is very 90s. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, they didn't even bother to take the curly Q earplug out of the guy's ear. I, I would imagine technology had advanced by then. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a really innovative episode, and I enjoy it quite a bit. But each little scenario, except for the fourth scenario with the Rangers and uh, the the aftermath of the Great Burn, um, all of the other ones, I just felt that they were sort of setting up JMS's... It's sort of a platform of his belief, but he's setting them up against some stereotypes, um, I guess. And it's all sort of in the service of sort of something that I've been talking about off and on throughout our rewatch. This sort of great man thing that JMS is kind of bought into. And this mm-hmm. one really drove it home for me that it's the story of Sheridan making a difference. No matter how much that JMS talks about the importance of the people, you know giving the worker cast a majority on the Grey Council because they're the ones who who get things done, you'd forgotten about them, all this other stuff. So much of Babylon 5's story is about Sheridan's greatness. And mm-hmm. this whole episode seems to be like sort of in defense of Sheridan and Delenn. But I mean, you know, he's... <laughs> It's hard to really call it a straw man argument because, yeah, he's setting it up to knock it down, but... He's the creator of the show. So literally everything that we have seen is him setting something up to knock it down. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 hard to it's hard for me to really look at it and scoff because that's like that's just the nature of fiction is he as the creator gets to make points when he wants to, because that's mm-hmm. that is the nature of fiction. The 100 Years Later Academia bit, that was the one that sort of brought it home for me, is that the academics are awful, the academics don't believe in anything, and here comes Delenn at the end uh, to call them on it, and they are so ashamed by what Delenn tells tells them that they can't make eye contact with her. That scene, I mean, you know, JMS gave them the language. I feel like the actors really sort of bought into it because, you know, for a couple of, for a few sentences here and there, you know, I really felt like, you know, they were, you know, acting almost like, you know, a pack of hyenas going after, you know, a, you know, defenseless corpse that, you know, can't do anything, can't answer for itself because, you know, they had that power that they could shift the narrative, they could control how they saw the narrative and spread what they felt. And I think that sort of runs through the entire episode, the who controls the narrative, who, who lives, who dies, who tells your story, what happens after when the people who were involved are no longer there to defend themselves and the people who knew them best are no longer there to defend themselves. So I think that uh, weighed in a lot, tying this into JMS's wish to have, you know, the story of a great person, you know, be preserved. I'm just waiting for you all to finish so I can weigh in on how much I detested this episode. Okay. <laughs> um, Lay it on me. Yeah, this mm-hmm. this works. This works. We're we're talking about the theme and the story overall, so I'm getting uh, I'm getting context and I'm just I'm I'm learning about the episode, but uh, and as you're talking about it, it just it this feels like and this is why context in the, in the moment of what was going on behind the scenes is important because this just feels like JMS gloating to those who said that the show would be canceled after four seasons isn't canceled because he's literally coming from the future 
to tell you that no, right. we are coming back for a fifth season. Mm-hmm. Um, because this, are, this are was you saying that pun- this episode mm-hmm. feels like a bit of a victory lap to you, Stephen? It feels like a petty victory lap. It feels like uh, a very a mildly classless victory, self-aggrandizing petty victory lap that I just got more and more intolerable as it as it went along. Uh, <laughs> I just really did not like this episode at all. I think it might be my least favorite, although the comedy Schindler's List episode, by its very nature, <laughs> has to occupy the bottom. Um, this just was... I just hated it. I just thought it's 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 diving. It's you know it's it's basically. I the one thing that annoys me about prophecies and and I mean drama is when they sort of deal with prophecies. Dipping into Doctor Who, that's the episodes that I dislike the most. Which is why I don't like the end of time uh, for many reasons, but because they sort of set up this is what's going to happen, and now we'll see how you know it just see it feels. It feels lazy, and it feels like uh, like the the showrunners are basically gloating, thinking that we know something you don't know, and then <laughs> taunting us about uh, about it for like a year. And this just feels like it's it's like spoiling season five. I feel like I wanted to go in and, and fresh into season five and see what was happening and 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 see where they would go on this. But now I feel like like these things are being seeded when they don't necessarily need to be seeded. And okay. And, uh, and I can under- mm-hmm. yeah I can understand that but uh, to be fair I mean mm-hmm. this isn't something JMS has pulled before um way back in practically the very first episode of the entire show we get Londo's story that he and Jakar he's he's seen his future the Centauri can see their deaths and he and Jakar are going to die strangling each other to death oh and, yeah you know that I feels li- like I didn't like it then either <laughs> okay but then as we go through the, you know, and we see these characters moving and growing and changing and coming back and forth, you know, it it becomes it eventually becomes fascinating because you're trying to scratch your head and going like, okay, how is this going to happen? Because they, they get along now and they seem to be working as a team, even though they're not comfortable with each other. Uh, JMS makes the point of he can tell you this happens, but then how we get there can still be super interesting. Um, so it'll, it'll be fun to see, come back after season five and, and see what you think. As you said, he, he seeds things. He does let drop mm. things that are happening in, in the last season. I guess one person's fascinating and interesting is another person's, I don't like that <laughs> style of storytelling. Right. Yeah, I think too much. I think too much was seeded um, for the next season. Uh, but also just okay. the tone of it all. I just didn't like the okay. gloatingness. I, that last title card was just the, the final straw. Um, <laughs> yeah. And honestly, by the by the time the uh, the the last segment with the with the I guess the Rangers, I didn't actually pick up who they were. Uh, I had to ask Erica later. So were they like because he pulls out a uniform out of the closet mm-hmm. and then puts it back, and I didn't understand what was going on because I didn't recognize the Rangers' outfits, and I basically tuned out of the episode by that point I, I just thought it was a confusing mess and i thought the last episode the best one before before this was so perfect a wrap-up and <laughs> it just feels like you know like yeah we wrap it it just feels like he's coming on for an encore that nobody wanted at this point and just sort of kicks the drum set over and said yeah hell with you <laughs> the rest of you it's just oh I, and I, you know 
And, and uh, uh, the I just I thought of the music like just, like Delenn clearly checks her Twitter for mentions because there's an internet <laughs> forum going on that's talking smack about her and uh, and Sheridan and suddenly she shows up she like takes a rocket ship <laughs> and says I understand that someone here has been talking bad about me and my late husband you know it's it's like a Mark Marshall McLuhan esque cameo from Annie Hall you know nothing of my work he comes along and chides people it's just it just seemed ludicrous at, at points. Yeah, I'm you sorry. Know, what a- <laughs> Stephen? Stephen, you're not you're not wrong to be picking up on uh, on this stuff, and uh, and I'm I'm actually a little surprised that you picked up on so much of this, uh, having having peered at the Lurker's Guide through your uh, th- through your fingers, or having having had uh, Erica uh, share with you bits <laughs> to keep you from being spoiled. But he was the original showrunner on the internet mm-hmm. he had mm-hmm. a fraught relationship with uh with internet trolls that he couldn't just ignore and he had running grudge with critics of the show that last title card which he uh which he described and is quoted in the Lur- lurker's guide as calling it a glowing neon middle finger at the critics who uh, who assumed that babylon 5 would not make it uh to the end of its fifth season. I think this is sort of, and and mind you, I like this episode, mm-hmm. um, but I think that that's actually kind of where I was coming from on the question of, you know, uh, soapboxes or straw men. You know, he is, knock, he, he is knocking down the critics of Babylon 5 in this episode. Mm-hmm. I know. He's putting himself before the show, and that's what's troubling, because I was enjoying the show for the show, and now we basically get... A, a Twitter rant before Twitter rants were a thing uh, in the form of the last episode of the penultimate season of, of Babylon 5. I think it's kind of not fair to say that he was putting himself before the show because more than almost anything else I've ever seen, he is the show. I mean, he wrote every single episode of it. It was his his baby, his arc from the very beginning, and he had to fight so hard tooth and nail to make it happen that I'm I'm actually willing to cut him quite a lot of slack when it comes to this sort of a thing. Like, being someone who was kind of like right there with him from whatever it was, mid, mid-season three all the way through, and and while I wasn't plugged into fandom and I didn't know what was going on in the background, I I did know that there was a very good chance that it was going to get canceled and we didn't think there was going to be any more. And I was heartbroken and frustrated and angry. And I, you know, was knew enough people that scoffed at the show and made fun of it that I was really right there with him. And I didn't have a problem with like the middle finger because it was like, it felt like catharsis and vindication for me, even as a viewer. So I... While I completely agree that the first time through, I didn't really understand what was happening in this episode. It took me like an extra watching and a lot of talking about it with my friends to sort of pick it apart and figure out, okay, that's what it means. But sort of after watching it a few times and looking back and remembering the way that I felt about the show in the context of the the day and age that it that it aired, I, I really don't have a problem with any of this stuff. I recognize exactly what you're saying and as chip said they're very fair points i just find myself like you know covering up with those fair points like they're a cozy cozy fuzzy blanket as opposed to something something that is distasteful to me i was i was right there like basically pumping my fist along with him 
And I think I'm there with you, Erica. Um, but the sort of analytical side of my brain un- understands mm-hmm. exactly why yep. Stephen is unhappy. And it doesn't age well because because no. of that. That's true. But, yeah, because all the three of you were were basically fighting for the fate of this show alongside its creator. Yep. Uh, and so you're sort of joining in that fight. Looking back on it after the war is over, so to speak, it just looks like, what is this? You know, it doesn't. It doesn't. It looks like the fight's over now, and now I'm having to watch this out of context. And it, it just, it does not like you so said. So basically, well. Stephen, you are one of those academics that is looking back on it. <laughs> yeah. And saying, like, this is, you know, it, it, it may have felt like that when it was, you know, people may have thought that that's what was happening. But it wasn't. That was just a that was just a PR campaign. Yeah, I'm just waiting for JMS to, like, barge into this podcast, leaning on a walking stick with two attendants at his side. And says, you know nothing of my work. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's there's if you there's also a piece of this that isn't so much about JMS and the writer himself, but. Um, all the way back to the gathering, to Londo's opening monologue, we've been told that this was the dawn of the third age of mankind. It mm-hmm. took us a long time to figure out what the third age was. Sheridan tells us in Delin that while they're sitting on a chaise lounge in the front of the um, of a white star heading back to Babylon 5 after the end of the Shadow War. But we've been told right from the beginning that this story is the story of something big that happened in the universe that would have resonance for, you know, the dawn of a new age. This episode sort of puts a pin in that and says the interstellar alliance that uh, Sheridan and Delenn lead is something significant and is going to be significant in the future. It's basically like, remember that third age? This is it, y'all. This is it. This is it. And we're going to have another season of episodes after this. To, um, but, but yeah, this is really, really big. And that is, I think that that's appropriate for this story. But I bet it was also in itself kind of annoying there, too, for you, Stephen. It was, and it was heavy-handed, too. You know, the the mm-hmm. the, the scene with the holograms and controlling the the you know what they do and what they say it just felt okay i i see you're making this very 1984 and you're telling us it's like 1984 it's it it was mm-hmm. you know it could have been done better as well but as yeah. as you've even said jms and subtlety are not a a pairing that exists in harmony not always uh, not always but sometimes sometimes but this in this episode yeah i'm i'm right there with you on that that uh, j like i said i said soapboxes for a reason this was jms jumping up mm. on a soapbox and yelling which he doesn't always do now i this really time he did. i really love the third and fourth acts now i love the 500 years thing in the future um it's a lot of shorthand sheridan and franklin's simulacra are over the top, and it's kind of for a reason. Um, Diametrically opposite. And, you know, like you said, no subtlety. There's no time to develop getting getting them there. It's just yeah. literally, you know, Sheridan, who wants everybody to get to the live pods, all of a sudden is mowing down refugees from somewhere. You know, uh, Franklin, who has been just, you know, constantly moralistic uh, about how he uses his medicine. No, hey, we're going to, you know, do exactly what he was accused, what they were accused of back in the Clark War and, you know, create these uh, alien hybrids and we're going to vivisect kids while we're at it. it yeah. Yeah. But uh, Not so. un- unlike unlike the previous two sections where, uh, you know, it's just it's 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 basically bloviating and um, 
people talking about our previous characters, the the third and fourth act, there's actually stories happening here. Um, Garibaldi's simulation breaks out and sends information to the good guys a good 20 years before the uh, simulation of the, of the 12th Doctor does it in um, 10th season episode Extremis. And the fourth act is a nice little story about the monks saving the world without the world really knowing about it. The back half of this story, uh, of this episode, really work well for me. Mm-hmm. I love I, the I love the third part with the with the the simulacra. I want to give a shout out to Bruce Boxleitner for his performance because mm-hmm. it was it was so cool that yes that you know they they have him and he's you know himself programmed with his own memories and thoughts and stuff and and so it's his body and his voice and then they program him to do something that is so antithetical to this character that we've come to know that when he switches the performance is not like Sheridan being tough and angry because we've seen Sheridan being being a badass before and the way that he performs this is not Sheridan being a badass it's Sheridan's body and Sheridan's voice and there's just this subtle difference in the way that he speaks uh it's it's a very different character and I I felt like it's a um, contemptuous character it is and it was it it worked so well because it just it was almost uncanny valley with with the character that we know and it's kind of the same thing with Dr. Franklin his his creepy smile at the end of his speech um also gave that but his delivery was didn't quite have that same difference in in flavor so i i really like that part but again it took me several viewings to actually understand what happened and i don't even know if i realized the connection between that segment and the final segment, the fact that what Garibaldi did actually touched off this great burn, I think this time watching it was the first time that I even realized that that was a continuation. So as in terms of effectiveness at getting across the point to the viewer, it was maybe not the most successful episode. The other message here, alongside the message that, hey, Sheridan and Delenn were great, and hey, I got my fifth season, F you, um... <laughs> I think the other message of the story is that it is that progress is two steps forward and one step back because mm-hmm. 500 years into the future, we're basically in Clark all over again. It takes a lot of work to recover the damage. I think that's an interesting message to have in the story as well, that uh, sometimes you have the big victory and then things can still fall apart if you know, if you let them. Very true. Yeah, I'm. I'm not terribly fond of that final. Not the final, but the uh, the the part with the monks who are with the monk who's really a ranger. I um, I noticed actually in the Lurker's Guide, I peeked at this one that that JMS said that he realized sort of like halfway through writing it that oh, this is you know mm-hmm. this is a, a televisual take on like a canticle for Leibowitz, which is a book I really don't like because I just don't like future religion. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to resurrect science that is a science fictional trope that is you know old and well worn that I hate. So that is not a part of the uh, part of the episode that I, I like all that much. So yeah. for me, I think it's just thing, sort of a big dip. Yeah. The thing that carries that piece for me is uh, the actors just, uh, to have. And of course, I can't remember his last name or I'm not going to pronounce it correctly, but uh, Roy Blenowitz, Blenowitz um, doing the older monk, the ranger, soothing the, the young monk, Brother Michael, um, and, you know, trying to get him through today's crisis of faith. I mean, there was there was a comedic touch 
to it that helped me along as far as going through with it. This time around, it was nagging me like crazy because the actor who plays the younger monk uh, was familiar this time. And it took me from last night watching the episode until this morning, because I didn't go look right away, to figure out, okay, yes, he was in the first season of Charmed playing a bad guy. Now I got it. Um, Ah. Yeah. (laughs) Between the performance of the actors and, um, you know, JMS throwing out these genuine questions of, you know, when will religion let science help it? When when can faith and uh, fact meet and work together? to create progress. So there were bits of it that appealed to me in that in that section. I know, Stephen, you enjoyed or sort of enjoyed at least the the, the multicam aspect of that I, section. I, so I noted that that it, that it was happening. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it was yeah, it was Stephen first directed this. Uh, yes. His first episode that he did was earlier this season, which was which is also media related. Yes. Um, and I, I thought he really I thought he directed the first uh um, act with the media pundits because everyone was like talking over each other. It just felt like very natural. And because what's his name? The older monk is sort of doing a report to mm-hmm. Space Ranger headquarters. Um, it's it's multicam. He's actually shooting that thing multicam. But the way that the the older actor is playing it, it plays out like a comedy. And I was half expecting a laugh track to come in at certain points of that. <laughs> Because of the way it, sh- it was shot and, and the way it looked. And I'm wondering if, if that was A, because, you know, that they shot it that way because he was doing reports, which is also good. But given that they had to quickly turn this thing around, I'm also <laughs> wondering if they shot it multicam to save time. They have. They might have. Um, This is a bit from the Lurker's Guide um, from a discussion of a 1997 convention featuring Stephen First. And this is JMS talking out into the internet. By the way, if you want to flip Stephen out and you get this before leaving the con, give him the following message from me. I don't have the hotel info in him. Tell him Joe says this, quote, Don't worry anymore about using mainly secure cam style coverage in Act 3. I've just come up with another approach where I can cover it in dialogue to let you do whatever you want with the camera so you'll have all the flexibility there you want. Here's a use of a convention you haven't seen much before. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Uh, um, so are there any other directorial things that you noticed or other structural things, Stephen, in this one? I, I find that Stephen first is good with actors because he is an actor. And I thought Babylon 5 is kind of hit and miss when they bring in guest stars. A little this, bit, yeah. <laughs> and, this, mm-hmm. and this episode is rife with them. Uh, so he got some good performances out of them, I thought, for the most part. Um uh, so it was it was an interesting um, directing episode for a couple of the sequences and uh, other parts were okay, I guess. And I suppose the performances were, were, were relatively good, too. You just can't get past the script, though. I really can't. <laughs> I really can't. Yeah, I yeah. really cannot get past the script on this one. I'm, I'm trying to fr- – like, I, the, literally, the, <laughs> as we were getting close to the end of the episode, I was starting to think, I cannot wait to see what the what the opening credits look like, like in season five. Like, this is the one thing I'm looking forward to most right now because <laughs> I really wanted to move on from this thing. Okay. As we, we've mentioned here and there that um, the story does give us a few – glimpses into season five we get a name 
uh, uh, Captain Lockley is going to be in charge of Babylon 5 next season. We get confirmation that Sheridan does get the whole 20 years that Lorien gave him back after Zaha Doom. Uh, but there's apparently confusion about how he died. And then we've got the hints about uh, the telepath problem uh, with biased sources making it sound like uh, whatever happened went to hell in a handbasket. Uh, we have the one video clip of Garibaldi apparently trying to help in a hostage situation that goes south. And we don't know yet what led to that or the actual outcome of it. Uh, we will have to watch and see. You know, that kind of, that actually, all those little bits and pieces that were seated kind of remind me of um, quite a few novels that I've read that have like the prologue before chapter one that mm -hmm. is basically a sequence that is going to happen much, 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 much later in the book. Like something that's yeah. really exciting. Um, or it also kind of reminds me of a lot of television episodes actually between Babylon 5 and now where you get a cold open sequence where mm -hmm. something really intense happens and one of your main characters looks like they're going to die or something. And yeah. then after the opening credits, you get a subtitle that says, you know, 12 hours earlier or 24 hours earlier. So mm -hmm. I, I feel like we're getting teased, which I know for you, Stephen, was was too much teasing. But mm -hmm. I feel like it's not that in itself was not exactly a uh, a really experimental thing because that's something that's been done in media yeah. for a long yeah. time. But maybe has been done more between then and now. I don't know if this is this is. I a, think the biggest think uh, example of that fair. right now is uh, the opening sequence in Breaking Bad, the very first episode. Stephen, I know that you gave it a try, and uh, that's an episode where. Your lead character just shows up in just the most miserable uh, condition possible. And then you wait until the end of that first episode to see how he got there. And they, they even dispense with the X hours earlier kind of thing. Mm -hmm. By this yeah, point, by this point American TV audiences have, have been trained to watch television that way. Uh, and movies, too. Um, I actually went to see A Million Happy Nows uh, at a film festival here in Durham, and they used the same technique. The, the first scene is something that will come around again later in the movie, and then the action, as soon as the title card goes up, jumps back without even telling us that they've jumped back to the beginning of the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. B5 has given us hints of scenes in the future, you know, Londo's vision of the shadows coming to Centauri Prime, you know, things like that. Things that were shot early and then re reinserted later um, because they had to they had to figure out a reason to get Londo back into his old coat real quick so they could uh, match the shot right. there. <laughs> um, uh, but because this one was shot as, you know, episode 501, you know, of season five, you know, you've got all kinds of stuff sort of in place for inserting into presumably future episodes i think it's safe to go ahead and say that there are a couple of shots of uh, flash in the uh in the history shots of uh sheridan you know the the snapshots of uh sheridan in younger days there are a couple of shots of him in earth force uniform that you've never seen before but you will very soon Dun, dun, dun. I did appreciate speaking of those pictures. I did appreciate the, like the baby pictures of him and the mm -hmm. wedding picture of of you know John and Anna, which of course is actually Bruce Boxleitner and and his what, Melissa, Melissa Gilbert. Yeah. Gilbert, yeah. So that was that was just a nice like meta touch that made me giggle. Yeah, me too. Uh, is there anything else we haven't had a chance to say that we really really need to get off our chests? Um, 
Are are we talking about about cast people? Because uh, uh, anything, the future, anything at all? Because I I anything don't know anything <laughs> that you have to say right now, Stephen. Mm-hmm. The floor is yours. Well, um, I mean, Marcus is gone, um, which is sad. I, I didn't have a chance to say that I, I liked him, and I thought he mm-hmm. kind of died mm-hmm. off screen, which was kind of sad. And I guess Ivanova is gone on her own ship in the future now. Is that how that is happening? Well, yeah, I mean, and here we here again is the stuff that everybody would have known at the time because it was in the because it was in the press. Even right. I knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I- Ivanova is off the show for the foreseeable. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Uh, I, I, I ask only so I could tell you that because uh, this is the third thing that I, I knew. Third thing, mm. um, I knew that Delenn what, was human because whenever I was flipping through the TV back in the day, I would notice this, this weird woman who had this thing around her head and had normal hair. And so when she appeared as a full-on um, Minbari at, in season one, I thought, what is happening? And I loved how you all bent over backwards trying to protect me from the truth I already knew. Um, <laughs> and the, the second was, for some reason, I maybe because I was wandering past um, DVD shelves many months or years before this podcast even was happening that i knew that someone was replacing probably um ivanova in in season five um because i would see the the front of the dvd cover i think it was and honestly the, the the way that ivanova's character was handled over the past couple seasons like was she like sort of negotiator? Was she all of a sudden she was kind of a TV host for some reason for a <laughs> while? It looks like they just did not have an idea of what to do with her. So if that was the reason that um, that she left the show, uh, I can kind of see why. It was a little more complicated than that, but dissatisfied actress is pretty much the nutshell. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which led to a, a little more juggling because um, they had to pull her out of the opening credits for this episode um, or incur some kind of massive fees or something along those lines. I do not understand the nuts and bolts of the business. And right, which of, course, which, of course, is not reflected in the uh, DVD uh, package because they just reused the same credits over and over oh, again. The same okay. way yeah. that they, again, trying to save you from something that you already knew... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's the same way that the first couple of episodes of season two had Dylan with hair in the credits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stephen, we were trying lazy. to protect you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you even you even copied a VHS copy from the original broadcast in order to prevent me from being spoiled. Some something that I already knew, Chip. <laughs> oh, you're delightful. We worked so hard for you. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, anything else from uh, our regulars before we move on? No, I will save everything that I have for for spoiler space. Uh, okay. I I will just uh, express a little bit of sorrow that uh, the episode didn't stick for you, Stephen. But I perfectly understand why. Well, thank. You. It hasn't put me off the entire show, so you can be rest assured <laughs> that I'm still looking forward to um, to season five and all that uh, else that awaits us on this journey through Babylon Five. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll mention is um, the one is a thematic note and one is a design note. Um, I did like the idea that 
JMS took the opportunity to circle back to season one infection where Sinclair has his speech about, you know, if one of these days, eventually our son's going to go Nova. And if we do not go to the stars, then we're going to lose everything that made us who we are. And then we have the actual representation here of a million years in the future, something has happened and the sun is going to uh, go Nova much earlier than it was supposed to. And, People are making sure that um, knowledge and records this time are preserved and saved and moved to New Earth, wherever that is. Um, And this time around, seeing the fellow um, disappear and fly into his encounter suit, looking at that encounter suit design this time around, I don't remember this ever happening before, but all of a sudden I'm just like, is that a Doctor Who monster? (laughs) Just the, the design of the head or something was like, you know, that looks like what a Cylon might look like to me if I had no idea what a Cylon was. Uh, oh. I don't I don't know, but uh, I do think that uh, I, it does give me kind of a warm feeling that we're going to be Vorlons in the future. Vorlons. Or the past. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a don't laugh. Don't, well, you'll probably laugh at me the second that spoiler space uh, resumes, but uh, I, I have, this is, this is my headcanon, this is my prediction for the future for this episode, for the season that aired 20 years ago, is that uh, the Vorlons we encounter is actually humans from the future. Mm. I know, right? Uh, I just wait to be proven wrong on that, but that's what I'm going <laughs> with. Oh, well, for that, we'll have to go through the uh, last, last season. We'll, we'll um, check in but, with you a year from now, Stephen. Yeah, yeah exactly. Please do. But, yeah. But before we do that, we have, of course, your homework, but we are changing things up slightly. Curve we are ball. going to <laughs> We are going to stick with what happened in the 1990s, which is TNT picked up season five, and then TNT commissioned a movie called In the Beginning that fills in the backstory of the Earth-Mimbari War for the purposes of enticing new viewers to jump in on this show. Um, here is this, you know, whole chunk of backstory. And then, hey, watch the, you know, watch the reruns. And then, hey, we've got season five uh, and new episodes of this show. So uh, we are going to be watching in the beginning for our next podcast episode in two weeks. And we may, I think our plan is to watch Third Space and then get back into it. Is that right? That is the, that mm-hmm. is the plan that I have proposed. So uh, we will... Yep. Uh, we, so uh, the next episode, episode 88, is going to be the movie in the beginning, hosted by moi. And then, Erica, you get third space for episode 89. Um, mm-hmm. and, After and, which, episode 90, we will pick back up with season five, and I will take us into episode one of season five, uh, which is No Compromises. Dun-dun-dun. Yeah. Um, and just a little bit of business backstory there. TNT made the deal to pick up the Babylon 5 reruns fairly early on. And then the decision was made to uh, purchase two TV movies to help boost the syndicated episodes, uh, the profile of the syndicated episodes on the network. And then there was the long and drawn out discussion of whether or not there would actually be the fifth and final season of the show. So, man, that was complicated. (laughs) Yes. Entertainment often is. Okay. So, um, again, in the beginning for our next episode. And while you wait for that, uh, you can always come and say hello to us on social media. We are on Twitter and Tumblr. 
at B5 Audio Guide. Our website is b5audioguide.com, where we always have our chat threads. Always two, there are. Uh, one that is spoiler-free and one that is spoiler-full, so you can um, Which one's the master the- and which one's the apprentice? but you know like like we've tried to do with steven you can protect the people who are watching for the first time and only talk about stuff that's happened so far and spoiler free and when you can't stand it anymore come to the spoiler full space where you can talk about it all um so at this point we need to say goodbye to steven for the moment before we go through that jump gate (laughs) thank you for for deigning to speak about this awful episode on our podcast with us thank you for allowing me to dump on your favorite show for about an hour (laughs) well i mean all opinions i mean you but you got a good you got a good season out of it yeah Yeah. yes and i you are reflecting the opinions of a not insignificant number of babylon 5 fans so i feel like it is important to have that uh that opinion reflected on the show indeed Uh, All right, then, let us head for a jump gate into spoiler space. Okay, and we are back, and we are back down to the original three, so we do not have to hold anything back for the rest of this episode. Not like Steven held anything back. That's true. (laughs) Oh, you guys, I was so excited to watch this. I knew, I knew that either he was going to be, you know, amazed by the, you know, the boldness and the difference and, you know, the experimental sort of nature of this episode, or he was going to just despise it. And I just so wanted to figure out, like, to find out which which way it was going to go. And Turns oh, out, yeah, I found D. out immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that we couldn't, talk about in uh, while he was on is that I think a lot of this episode is about sort of insulating the story or insulating the value of Sheridan and Delenn from what is going to happen in the coming series because Mm -hmm. the academics are actually kind of right it's going to be kind of a horrible year Uh, I forget exactly what leads to the so many deaths line Although you know a bunch of a bunch of the telepaths uh, kill themselves, and there's going mm-hmm. to be the invasion of uh, Centauri Prime and the, all the Drock stuff mm-hmm. that goes on. But again, quoting Lynn Thomas talking about Torchwood, about those characters being very bad at their jobs. Yep. Season five, John Sheridan is not a very good politician. He's real new at this. There's a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of screwing up happens. So mm-hmm. um it's like yeah. this episode um this episode well, driving... tries to defend the great man that is Sheridan against Well, but, and it's but not the... even that he's a great man. I mean, that's the, that was something right. that stumped, jumped out at me this time around. It's the fact that he's a good man. You know, it's like he's not looking to be great. He's just looking to do the right thing. Um, and I think that was especially the the reason for Delenn to turn up and, you know, shame the academics that are, you know, pulling it apart and trying to make it sound like Sheridan was the consummate politician looking for greatness. And she's like, no, he was a good man trying his best. And as we find out in season five, 
he doesn't always get it right. Sometimes he screws up badly. Yeah, there's um, a direct line talking about, you know, how Sheridan is not qualified and this whole enterprise was doomed from the get-go, which is just, yeah, very much like those lines are very much seeding season five, you know, possibly even more than the bits about the telepaths or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, this is, and this leads me to yet another moment of just sort of cringing a little bit in fear that uh, Stephen's going to be unhappier and unhappier uh, during the early going of the season, both for mm-hmm. the faults of the season, but also for the things that the that the season is doing well, but he may not want to see. Yeah, actually, one of the things that you know. We, I didn't really want to talk about in non-spoiler space that Stephen and I kind of touched on a little is one of the things I think that he was so angry about in this episode is that it was the season finale and he loved last time so much that Mm. he just like when that got finished he was you know bolstered and like happy and like why do we need another episode I don't get it like why is there one more and then the fact I feel like if this had been the first episode of season five he still would not have liked it but he wouldn't have had quite the antipathy toward it mm-hmm. because it would be just another just another episode um you know and, right. and possibly in the first episode of the season sort of teasing things might might have made a little more sense so one of the things he said was just like he just he didn't understand why this had to be slotted into that place and he's like well He's like, I guess I guess maybe I will understand a little bit better once I see that episode that was supposed to be there. And yes, I just yeah. didn't say anything at all. I'm like, just yeah. just check back with us in a year. <laughs> yes, he yeah, will. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, it, there was no way to slot in an extra episode before Rising Star. Nope. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, and he he had talked about that. He was like, yeah, like, you know, in this part of the plot or blah, 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 it would have been great to have an extra episode for the, the Minbari Civil War. I was like, yeah, but they couldn't do that. And he's they, like, OK, yeah, they could. Right. Yeah, they didn't know stuff. Stuff had already aired. Yeah. Yep. So I think so. he was he's he's angry at the situation that happened, you know, decades mm-hmm. ago. But yeah. <laughs> at yeah. least it's fascinating. Yeah, it is. It is. But yeah, JMS has to create a new episode that has to serve as kind of an epilogue for the series and other it's either that or it's a cliffhanger right mm-hmm. for season 5 and there's just there's just not enough there to 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 do that with mm-hmm. so this is the second of four final episodes of Babylon 5 yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. and i i'm i'm sorry i didn't have time to i i thought about watching sleeping in light again now and refreshing my memory uh, as to you know how it would have fit at the end of season at the end of season four as the as the grand finale because there we get you know again a look into the future but it's much more focused on all the characters we know we you know we see you know we see what happens to Ivanova we see what happens to um, a lot of the characters we get hints uh, like you know the line about Lanier of what happens to to some of the characters um, so I don't know if. Th- if that would have been, you know, had it had it wound up staying four seasons, would that have been a satisfying enough ending for Steven and for uh, some of the other casual viewers? I expect it would have been. Um, and I'm predicting that he'll be happy with this uh, when we get to it a year from now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, we have Londo being told that he's going to be emperor at the uh, at the beginning mm-hmm. of uh, Rising Star. And we just sort of have some happy talk, happy talk with him and Jakar. 
And then we go to, and then if we go to Sleeping in Light straight from that, they're long dead. We've seen how they end already during War Without End. I think it would have been fine. Mm -hmm. But instead we suddenly get a reprieve and now we've got to do one more season. Yeah. And and we've already wrapped up like the second of our two massive wars. So time for a third. <laughs> um, anyway. I did yeah. I did like the fact that they, they tossed in uh Captain Lockley's name and I don't think they said anything to indicate her gender. Nope. So, you know, the, that we get a mild surprise uh that it's Elizabeth Lockley, um that is running the station now. Um I think fans would have uh known uh, had had the casting possibly. announcement by then, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think so. Stephen knows as well. He didn't. He didn't mention exactly who he saw on DVD covers, but he has. Mm. He has told me that for some reason, and he doesn't even know why, he recognized Tracy Scoggins. He's like, I don't know why I know who she is. Like, but <laughs> even at the time that he saw he saw her on on the cover there, like he was like, oh, it's Tracy Scoggins, and he's like, why do I know who that is? I don't know, but she's somebody who's in Babylon Five. So and, yes, and, and again, shaking my head. It'll be interesting to see uh, how Stephen reacts to the kinds of stories that Captain Lockley gets, mm-hmm. because I think Claudia Christian would have had a lot more to do as mm-hmm. the military commander butting heads with the president. Right. Who they, who's been his friend for decades. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that would have been, that would have been great. <laughs> and of course, we've also got the telepath conflict. We get, you know, just mentions, touches on it. We get the one scene with Garibaldi, we assume, is trying to talk down some of the telepaths from this hostage situation uh, before being told that, nope, they're not going to negotiate. Um, mm. You know, that um, turns into the, the Lita and Byron show. <sighs> yeah. Um uh, that scene, uh, you know, th- that that scene does get dropped in whole cloth and it feels like it's directed by a different director and it just sort of feels a little little different. Uh, but mm-hmm. it does end a little differently than what we're uh, what right. we're supposed to expect. Unlike Stephen, I do like having this this extra stuff being seated in. Um, yep, me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, that's that is that is a. On the one hand, it's an opinion thing, and also on the other hand, it's it may also be a, a distance thing. Like he is just watching it from a completely different angle than mm-hmm. we are. So who knows? Yeah. And then of course they they do mention again the the twenty years that Sheridan gets, and uh, this episode leaves it open. You know, just hints that you know what happened to Sheridan. Uh, people assume that he died on Mimbar, and there's this story that he ascended into heaven bodily, which fuels um, Act 4 of the episode with um, mm-hmm. the rangers helping the religious order bring things back. But we find out, of course, in Sleeping in Light that, yeah, basically Sheridan drives off uh, in, a, in, a, in a spaceship, and Lorian comes by and picks him up, and it's time to go beyond the rim. So, mm-hmm. so not exactly, but, but yeah. <laughs> Are there other things we can touch on at this point rather than later? I don't know. I feel like it really, it's it seeds so much that, you know, mm-hmm. we could talk about just about anything in season five, but mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, I'm just kind of excited to to dive in and see it. And Stephen really, he was genuinely sad at first when he was like, wait a minute. So 
when when do we get to watch the the next season five like the next episode <laughs> and at first i was like oh it's going to be quite a few weeks and he's like oh he, like his face just fell and oh. then i was like well because because we're going to be doing a couple of tv movies in the middle and he was like oh okay he's like so at least i'll get to watch something else like yes. he just really wants to wipe the taste of this <laughs> out of his mind <laughs> Uh, but he's excited to see the new the new opening opening credits, right. which yeah. is always just kind of a fun thing. Yeah. One question that I'd like you to ask him when uh, you're done with in the beginning is which he would rather have started the, the watching Babylon the Five with. Mm-hmm. Would he have rather started with the Gathering or with in the beginning? That is that is an excellent question. I I suspect that he would say for our purposes that he was glad that we did it this way but if it was some like my guess is that he will say if it was just for like the two of us to just you know maybe maybe watch it maybe not that maybe in the beginning would have been better but we'll see we'll see that's that's just my guess knowing my spouse i may be wrong who knows well again uh thank you all for listening and keeping up with us as we continue as we said we are down Four seasons down, one to go, a couple of TV movies. We may play with some other media at the end. We haven't decided yet. We'll we'll get to that when the time comes. Uh, but in the meantime, again, uh, our next episode is In the Beginning, the first of the two TV movies that uh, TNT commissioned as part of Taking Over Babylon 5. Uh, and until then, this is Shannon and Durham. Chip pouring one out for the PTEN fanfare. And Erica in Edmonton. And you've been listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5.